Well, today I'm excited because we're going to continue our series entitled Relationships Rule. And uh, just a little bit of extra advice today for all you guys in the house. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, okay? Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so uh, let me just remind you again, as I did last week, hint, hint, reminder, reminder, here you go, uh, you need to buy something, right? A card, a flower, a balloon, anything that you can think of. Uh, and even if your wife tells you or girlfriend tells you, you don't have to get her anything, she is lying. <laughs> Do not believe her. She is not telling you the truth. Get her something. So I said all that last Sunday, and I'm saying it again this week to help all you guys out. And this week, Kelly tells me, she says, Keith, do you remember? Do you remember what you got me last year for Valentine's Day? And I said, absolutely, I do not remember what I got you last year for Valentine's Day. She said, well, that's because in 31 years of marriage, last year was the first time on Valentine's Day you got me nothing. <laughs> I don't remember the details of what happened, why I did nothing. I'm sure she does. I'm not going to ask her this morning, but I'm sure she probably <laughs> remembers. So, so I started a day early. So I thought, well, I got to step up my game a little bit this year, okay? So, so this morning while she was in the shower, she came out of our out of the shower this morning in our bedroom and on our on our bed, right? I had her. I called it our little a little love llama. Did you say that little love llama? A little balloon and a little Valentine's card that said how much I love her and I do love her so much. And tomorrow I'm just going to blow her mind. So, all you guys, I'm helping you, okay? Pastor, I'm helping you. This is my job. I'm helping you. You do something, okay? Do something. All right, y'all good? All right, I love you. All right, so let's talk about relationships. Relationships rules. So last week we began, let me just recap a couple thoughts with you this morning. We said that the quality of your life, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. That every relationship that you have is either adding value, right? It is either an asset or it is a liability. It is strengthening you or it is weakening you. It is building you up or it is tearing you down. Every single relationship that you have, not just marriage relationships, not just love relationships, but friendships, work relationships, church relationships, every relationship that you have is either adding value to your life or else it is a liability in your life that's actually weakening you and drawing you away from being the person God has called you to be. So if relationships rule, our question is simply this, then what are the rules for relationships? So we're going to look in Ephesians 4 verse 10 through 17 or 16 this morning again. And as I shared with you last Sunday, this scripture in Ephesians 4 is not really what we would consider relationship scripture. It's not really uh, what you would think about when you said, hey, let's go look up a Bible verse on love and relationships. But what Ephesians 4 is doing is Ephesians 4 is describing the life of a life-giving church. It's describing what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And what the Holy Spirit showed me now about four weeks ago is he said, Keith, he said, the same characteristics that make a life-giving church are the same characteristics that make a life-giving relationship. And all of a sudden, we begin to see that the qualities of a life-giving church are also the qualities of what healthy relationships look like. So let's look in Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. He says, And the same one, speaking of Jesus, who descended, is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. 
Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastors, and the teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. Verse 16. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, here it is, is healthy and growing and full of love. Look at that next point, a quick recap again. So healthy, growing, and full of love are the results of a life-giving church. And let me just encourage you today. Don't be a spectator, be a participator. When you come to church, come to church with the idea that I'm going to make Liberty Church a healthy, growing church that's full of the love of God. I'm not coming to just receive from the church. I'm actually coming to contribute to the body of Christ because I want Liberty Church. How many of you know this is your church? Come on, somebody. I, I talk to people all the time. They say, Pastor Keith, I just love going to your church. And I'm like, whoa, 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 it's not my church. It's actually God's church. But you know what? It's actually our church, right? We're a part of the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage you today, take a little ownership of your church. And recognize that when you come to church, whether it's on Sunday morning, whether it's on small groups, whether it's serving in ministry, whether it's serving in children's ministry, whether it's working with you, whether it's being a part of our mission team, whatever it is, just recognize, hey, I want to be a contributor. I want to help make Liberty Church a healthy, growing church that is full of the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be a spectator. Jennifer hit it, right? We're not performers. <laughs> We're not going to be spectators. We're going to be participants in what God is doing. And every person, let me give you some good news today. Every person in this room has value to add to the body of Christ. You make us better. I mean, I look around this room, I see so many amazing faces, so many amazing stories. And I get a chance because I'm the pastor. And I, 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 it's, it's, let me just let me back up. It's not because I'm the pastor. It's because I'm intentional. I get, I get an opportunity because I'm intentional that I know most of your stories to some degree. And when I look around the room, I don't just see people sitting in a chair. I see the story of grace, the power of God, the glory of heaven that has worked in that person's life. And I know where you've come from, and I know where you're going, and I know where you are. And it's so exciting because when I look at you, man, I see the hope of the world wrapped up in the local church. Because if God can do it for you and God can do it for me, then there ain't nobody out of his reach. Can I get an amen this morning? So you need to come to church with that realization that I'm, I'm going to contribute to Liberty Church being the, the most healthy, growing, and full of love church that I can be a part of. So let's look at the rest of that statement. So these are the results of life-giving church, but they're also the rules for life-giving relationships. When we measure our relationships by these standards, we are able to discern what each relationship requires to be life-giving. We talked about how that when we all of a sudden, now we have a spiritual standard by which we can begin to measure the relationships. And I made this statement last Sunday. Every relationship requires work. 
Every relationship requires work. Doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what kind of relationship it is, marriage relationship, friendship, dating relationship, co-worker relationship, going to church together relationship. Every relationship requires work. And I, and I gave you three words last week. I'm just going to drop back in your heart and spirit this morning. Every relationship needs to be pruned, right? There has to be a pruning because what worked in one season doesn't always work in every season. And so we have to always be willing to cut away. Why do we want to cut away dead fruit? We want to cut away dead fruit so we can make room for living fruit. We want to cut away dead branches so we can make room for life-giving branches. And so we have to do that in all of our relationships. And then we said every relationship needs to be fertilized, right? There, there's a fertilization process. We've got to add value. We've got to recognize that if we're not careful, if we just make withdrawals and withdrawals and withdrawals, then we actually deplete the relationship of the very thing that it needs to be a life-giving relationship. So just like you have to fertilize the soil. I, I got to spend a few days with Dr. Forrest Van Zandt this week. We were in Orlando at a leaders conference, and, uh, and he's a farmer by nature, and uh, I learned a whole lot of stuff about farming this week. It was awesome. And, and, and what I learned is simply this. When you fertilize a plant, you're not actually fertilizing a plant. You're fertilizing the soil through which the plant draws its nutrients. And the soil of your relationship needs fertilizer because if you're not careful, you'll suck the life out of it. And we talked about those vacuum cleaner relationships last week, right? When you get around some people, you can hear the noise. I mean, it starts sucking the life out of you. And you're like, oh my gosh, i got to get away from this person. So every relationship needs to be pruned. Every relationship needs to be fertilized. And then some, not all, but some relationships actually need to be purged from your life. They don't need to be just cut back. They need to be cut off. Because some relationships are ungodly and toxic and unhealthy. And it doesn't mean they have to be cut off forever. But maybe for a season, we need to, we need to cut this thing off because it is detrimental to my life and my health as an individual. And so we recognize that those things are necessary and required for all of our relationships. Last Sunday, we talked about kind of three characteristics of a healthy relationship. Today, we're going to talk about what does it look like to have a growing relationship. Look at that next point, all you note takers. So what does it mean for a relationship to be growing? Three types of growth in a life-giving relationship we're going to talk about today. The truth is there's probably 30 or 30,000 types of growth in a life-giving relationship, but I've only got about 30 minutes, so I'm going to give you three. Amen. Is that okay with everybody? Let's look at the first one. So the first type of growth in a life-giving relationship is spiritual. There is spiritual growth. Life-giving relationships equip us to become more and more like Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? Life-giving relationships help us to grow spiritually. If I'm in a life-giving relationship, that relationship all of a sudden cultivates a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. It helps me to want to be more and more like Jesus. We actually read the scripture. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. It says, and instead we will speak the truth in love, growing, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Let's be honest. There are some relationships you have that the more you hang out with that person, the more you love Jesus. Right? The more you hang out with them, the more you hunger for the Word of God. The more you hang out with them, the more you want to serve and make a difference. The more you hang out with them, the more you want to share your faith and evangelize the lost, and you want to change the world. Don't you love those relationships? Man, they are awesome. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Let me interject a little something here from your pastor. This might seem weird, but I'm just going to tell you. Uh, Life-giving relationships, when I talk about spiritual growth and, and, and developing us spiritually, that does not mean that all we talk about is Jesus, God, and the Bible. 
If all you talk about is Jesus, God, and the Bible, you're weird. <laughs> Says your pastor. And let me tell you why. Because if you have a work relationship with somebody, then you're trying to accomplish a task, fulfill a job, fill a need, accomplish a vision, produce a product, get the job done, right? And if all you do is eight hours a day want to talk about Jesus, God, and the Bible on your job, guess what? I'm going to fire you. Because I need you for eight hours to focus on how are we going to get the job done, how are we going to do it effectively, how are we going to do it efficiently, and how are we going to accomplish the task that's been put before us. And I'm going to have a healthy, growing relationship with people on my job because guess what? I'm going to do what I do on my job because I have a commitment to Christ. I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm going to be excellent. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to do what I said I would do because my word matters and it has value. Guess what? When you get in those kind of work relationships where you work with people that actually care about what they're doing, that actually honor God with integrity and excellence on their job, you know what it'll do? Not only will it make you be a better employee, it'll actually make you be a better Christian. Because they're not paying you to talk about Jesus. Now you can live for Jesus. And you can sprinkle a whole lot of Jesus in the midst of your day. But the truth is they're paying you to accomplish a job. And, and we need life-giving relationships even on our job that help us grow in Christ. And that happens when what you do, you do is under the Lord. And all of a sudden we're dealing with the stuff we've got to deal with today. Because, hey, I've got a relationship with God that requires me to walk in integrity and excellence. And I'm the hardest working person on the job because I love Jesus more than everybody else does. <laughs> so, I know that sounded weird coming from your pastor, but I hope it helped you. So we need life-giving relationships, and life-giving relationships help us grow spiritually. They help us become more and more like Christ and want to cultivate a heart for Him. Let, let me give you a warning. Look at that next point. The first, uh, one of the first warning signs of an unhealthy relationship is complacency and compromise that leads to sin. Well, one of the first warning signs of an unhealthy relationship, how do I know I'm in an unhealthy relationship? Well, all of a sudden, I recognize that there is a thing called complacency. Look what James 4, 17 says. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. So all of a sudden you begin to recognize, are there some relationships that you're in that actually cause you to become complacent instead of, and again, I'm not talking about these people, relationships that are saying, hey, let's go out here and get drunk. I'm just talking about relationships that somehow undermined your commitment to Christ and create a complacency in your heart that says, well, I know I need to go to church, but you know what? I'm just going to miss one Sunday. I know I should be reading my Bible, but man, let's binge watch this network Netflix show. I know I should be serving and reaching and helping, but boy, there's so many other fun things we could be doing right now. And it's not that they're bad things, and it's not that they're sinful things. It's just he that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And when you begin to recognize that there are relationships that cultivate, cultivate complacency, and let's just be honest, if you look over some of the relationships in your life, maybe not current relationships, but you can probably look into your past relationships, and you can recognize there are some relationships that you've been in that cultivated complacency. They weren't bad people. They just weren't seeking God people. <laughs> and the more you hung out with them, the more you were content with not doing the things God had called you to do. 
I'm not doing bad stuff, Pastor Keith. I didn't say you were. I just said you're not doing the right thing. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And let me tell you what happens if you hang out in complacency long enough. If you hang out in complacency long enough, you'll actually move to compromise. Complacency always leads to compromise. Look at that next scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. See, if you hang out in a place of complacency, before you know it, you'll start to compromise. When you hang out in a place where you say, you know what, I'm not going to do, I'm not, I'm not doing bad things, I'm just not doing the God things that I know God's called me to do. It won't be very long when you hang out in complacency that you'll actually begin to compromise. And you'll start hearing words come out of your mouth that used to not come out of your mouth. And you'll start finding yourself in places that you used to wouldn't find yourself in. And you'll start finding yourself involved in things that you would have never imagined being involved in as a Christian. Why? Because relationships are either adding value, they're either building us up or they're drawing us back. And so I think one of the greatest keys to a life-giving relationship is does this relationship cultivate spiritual growth? Does it challenge me to want to be more and more like Jesus. Again, not that that's all we talk about or all we do, but that there's, a, there's an undercurrent, right? Because I done put on Christ, and now everything I do somehow has the aroma of the Lord. And that's beautiful about Christianity, because I don't have to be talking about Christ to be putting off the aroma of Christ in the way that I work, in the way that I play, in the way that I live, and the way that my life ebbs and flows. So you got to ask yourself, is this a healthy, growing relationship? Second type of growth in a life-giving relationship is maturity. Life-giving relationships empower us to grow up. Maturity creates stability and strength. Life-giving relationships empower us to grow up. Won't you go ahead and look at your neighbor and just say, hey, you need to grow up. Man, some of y'all did that real passionate. I'm telling you, I'm like, I think there was some emotional meaning behind that. How you need to grow up. Let me tell you something. We need to grow up. And one of the greatest things about life-giving relationships is life-giving relationships, they, they empower us to come to a place of maturity. There is growth in that it produces maturity in different aspects of my life. Listen to what we've already read, Ephesians 4. Let's look at it again, verse 14. Look what he says, the Apostle Paul. He says, and then we will no longer be immature like children. See, when we're in a life-giving church and when we're in life-giving relationships, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. See, one of the benefits of life-giving relationships is that it cultivates maturity. And all of a sudden, I start growing up. I'm not going to be mature, tossed, and blown about by every wind and every thought and every idea that flows through the world. And when you think about your life, man, I think about Kelly and I's life, and I think about, man, how many relationships have been so huge in helping us grow up, helped us grow up financially, where we begin to understand what it meant to have financial stability. See, immaturity makes you unstable. Maturity makes you stable. <laughs> and it's tragic how many people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s are still unstable financially. Unstable relationally, 
unstable spiritually, unstable mentally. And the Bible says, for a man that is double-minded, he is unstable in all of his ways. And let not that man think he would receive anything from the Lord. See, but when I get in some life-giving relationships, all of a sudden, they begin to empower me to maturity. They begin to challenge the way I think. They begin to, to, to help me begin to grow up. And I need those relationships. I'm just going to tell you, I, I need those relationships. I need, I need to grow up. Look, look, at, look at this scripture, Luke chapter 2. It's an awesome scripture about Jesus. The Bible says this, Jesus grew. I'm going to stop right there. We could preach the rest of the day on that one, but we're going to just hang out for about 30 seconds. Jesus grew. So let me say this. If Jesus had to grow, so do we. Jesus grew. The Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge and understanding and wisdom, the way he thought, the way he processed information, the way he looked at life. He grew in stature. That word stature is a neat word. It means, it means age and it means size, but it's also interpreted maturity. Jesus had to grow up from a 12-year-old boy that left his mom and dad on the caravan back home so he could go to the temple and do his father's business to becoming a 30-year-old man that could step into the high calling of God that was upon his life. And when it came time to face the cross, he could say, God, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't have enough maturity at 12 years old to tell, tell mom and dad, hey, I'm going back to the temple because that's where I belong. See, we kind of we read that story. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The story of Jesus, 12 years old, at the temple. And, and they're on the, they've been there and they're leaving. They're going back. And we kind of read it. And we're like, man, that's somebody. I can't believe they lost Jesus. <laughs> if that wasn't Jesus, you know what we'd say? I can't believe that snotty-nosed 12-year-old boy didn't tell his mom and dad where he was going. He didn't have enough maturity. He didn't have the respect to tell them he's going to leave them and they're going to be looking for him three days later. What's up with him? But because it's Jesus, we're like, it's really cool. <laughs> See, Jesus had to grow up. He had to mature. And if you and I had to, if Jesus has to, had to mature, so do we. And, and that happens through our relationship with God. But let me just tell you something. It happens through our relationship with people. And I need those kind of relationships that cultivate maturity that help me to grow and become. And I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for the people. I'm thankful for my family because, boy, I've got so many relationships that help me to mature. Let me give you another scripture. Proverbs 30, verse 20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. See, wise people make you wiser. How many know you need some wise people in your life? You need some life-giving relationships that are going to bring the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world into your life. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I mean, no, the Bible actually encourages us to be childlike. Jesus said that we ought to come to him like children. But the Bible discourages us being childish. Childish means I'm immature. It means I pitch, pitch a fit when I don't get my way. It means I pout and I hold grudges. And I say, mine, mine, mine. We got to... Babysit for the first time, both the grandbabies last night. We had Xander and Jude. Jude's eight-month-old. Xander's 18 months old. 
Anytime Jude got near Xander's toys, Xander took them. <laughs> kind of subtle. I was watching him. He's he just like, he's getting close. He didn't say mine, but he said mine. How many know there are some relationships, the more you hang out with them, the more childish you get? You hang out with some people long enough, and before you know it, it seems like all your good common sense goes out the window, and you start making choices and decisions that are unstable because you're not thinking about anybody else but yourself. See, that's what childish people do. When you're childish, all you can think about is you because that's all you know is you. That's why kids need parents <laughs> to say, no, it's not all about you. Come on, somebody. We need relationships that cultivate maturity in our lives. All right. Last point, here it is. This is an interesting one. The third type of growth in life-giving relationships is adventure. That's kind of a crazy little word there, adventure. Different word. Life-giving relationships ignite a passion for living that keeps us laughing, loving, and exploring life. See, we, we need life-giving relationships, and, and the Holy Spirit really stirred us. I tried to move away from this. I thought, God, of all the things we could talk about, this one seems, you know, like, let's just have fun. You know, I mean, it just didn't seem as super spiritual as I wanted it to be. And the Lord just would not let me escape it. Proverbs, right? We know this scripture. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You ever think about how does iron sharpen iron? It creates sparks. How I many you know we need some people that create sparks? The spark of life. We need people that create sparks. The sparks of life that says, hey, guess what, guys? You need to keep living till you die. <laughs> I meet a lot of people that stop living 5, 10, 15, even 20 years before they die. They go out to pasture. They stop living, they stop loving, they stop exploring, they stop wondering, they stop adventuring, they stop pursuing, they stop pressing, they stop reaching for more. Kelly and I, one of our little confessions that we make over our marriage is we want to have the world's greatest love affair. The world's greatest love affair. The first time I ever shared that publicly, y'all don't judge me, but that's what we say. We want to have the world's greatest love fire. So you know what that does? That creates a spark. That challenges us to think about how can we live life together? How can we invest in our marriage? How can we do some challenges? And Kelly is not naturally adventurous. But I spark. <laughs> and we're going to go kayaking and we're going to go hiking and we're going to do this. and It's going to be a little scary. And our little confession, what was it? I'm brave, I'm courageous, and I love new adventures. <laughs> Kelly had to embrace that a few years ago. You know why? Because we need that. We, we got to keep living until we die. And we need that spark. And I, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about uh, 4th of July. The, the, the hardest the hardest firework to light on the 4th of July is the little sparklers. You know what I'm talking about, the little sparklers? You ever watch a little kid waiting to get a sparkler? I mean, you can't use that little thing that lights them. You know, that just won't even work. You got you to break out the flame. 
if you're going to light a sparkler. The best way to light a sparkler is with another sparkler, right? But, but what you do, you're watching that little kid, and I mean, they're just like, they're, you know. <laughs> and it's like taking forever, you know. And mom and dad's over here, can't get the light. But the moment that joker lights, that little kid goes from here to, I mean, they go crazy. <laughs> and that was on video. That's bad. <laughs> and I just had the thought. I said, you know what? Life-giving relationships that spark adventure, they're kind of hard to cultivate sometimes. But once it sparks... <laughs> you ready? Here we go. Mark Batterson, for those of you that read the book, Mark Batterson in our 30-day devotional we finished up last week, he, he made a statement. I loved it. He said, he said, I stopped trying to acquire possessions, and I started deciding I wanted to create memories. I don't want to just acquire possessions. I want to create memories. And what I found out is that requires relationships that spark life, love, and laughter. A couple years, I'll share this last story, and then we're going to wrap up. Several years ago, Kelly and I, when we started ministry, I was 20 years old, and she was 19 when we started pastoring. And so we've always been very serious <laughs> about the kingdom of God and what God had called us to do. Several years ago, we realized we don't laugh enough. See, I'm not just the normal, goofy, cut-up kind of whatever. And so we just realized a few years ago, we don't laugh enough. And we said, you know, we got to change that. There's some guys here in the church, man, they're just goofy and weird, and I love them. <laughs> they all know who I'm talking about right now. They have no doubt who I'm talking about. They're, they're just goofy and weird guys. I love them to pieces. I love hanging out with them. They make me laugh. They make me cut up. We're picking at one another. We're having a good time. You know what? I need that. Because I don't naturally bend that way. I'm naturally like, well, aren't you praying? Come on, what's wrong with you? Get to work. There's a soul out there that needs to be saved. Aren't you making disciples? I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intense sometimes. Praise God for those relationships. So our last point, look at it. Here it is, our last point. So life-giving relationships... Help us, help us to grow spiritually. They cultivate this desire in us just to be more like Jesus. They help us to grow in maturity where we actually just actually start to grow up. We start to abandon some childish ways and we start to be stable and strong in the things God has called us to do. And then they help us to ignite adventure where we continue to live until we die. And so by that standard, we got a measurement now. Now we could say, hey, in my relationships, what needs to be pruned? What needs to be fertilized? And maybe what needs to be purged from my life because, hey, I want to be alive. And here, here's the challenge I, I want to give you. If this is what we want out of relationships, I, mean, I, want, I want people to help me grow spiritually, help me grow maturity, and help me grow an adventure. If that's what I want, then that's what I need to be. 
when Kelly and I used to lead the youth, we'd tell young people, we'd say, we'd say, I want you to write down on a piece of paper what are the characteristics you're looking in for a spouse. You know, they're getting in the older ages and they're getting ready to graduate. What do you want in a spouse? And they start writing down all these things, you know, good looking and handsome is always at the top. But anyway, they, they move down through there. And, and they identify these characteristics of what they want in a spouse. And then we would always look at them and we'd say, okay, if this is what you want in a spouse, then that's probably what this kind of spouse is looking for in you. If you're looking for somebody that's trustworthy, why would they want to be connected with somebody that's not trustworthy? If you're looking for somebody that's passionate about God, why would they want to be with somebody that's not passionate about God? If you're looking for somebody that has a commitment to integrity, why would they look, at, look for somebody that's not committed to integrity? So you need to be what you want to attract. Now, we already have amazing relationships. All of them can grow. All of them can get better. But we need to ask ourselves today, what can I do to be that person in the relationships that I'm in? How can I cultivate spiritual growth? How can I cultivate maturity? How can I cultivate love, life, and laughter and bring adventure to the relationship? I want to be that person. So let's just bow our heads today. If you're here this morning in the house or you're watching online, I, I want to just challenge you first and foremost. The greatest adventure you'll ever live is in a relationship called Christianity. And Jesus is calling us to a, a relationship filled with spiritual growth, maturity, and adventure. Love, life, laughter, it's all found in Jesus. And if you've never made that decision to say, hey, I want to enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. That's what the Bible calls it. Jesus called it being born again. A lot of little phrases we use to describe it. But at the end of the day, it's all about you going from a place where you don't know God to a place where you do know God. And God, I love you and I want to be in a relationship with you and I want your gift, the gift of eternal life. I want to be forgiven of my sins and I want to begin to walk with you today for the rest of my life. And if that's you this morning or you're watching online or you're in the room, if that's you, say, today, Pastor Keith, I've never really had that. Today, I want, to, I want you just to raise your hand. Today, I want to begin a relationship with God. I want to be saved, born again. I want to trust Jesus. I, I want to start that great adventure. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's the greatest thing you'll ever know is knowing what it means to be loved by God and walking out that kind of relationship. If that's you, we're about to pray. I'm going to give you one, one more, just 10 more seconds to raise your hand. Today, that's me, Pastor Keith. I want to be saved. I want to accept Christ. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody out loud, you say it with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I ask you to come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All right, let me give you one final announcement before we dismiss. So this is Valentine's weekend tomorrow. It's Valentine's Day. 
So on your way out today, all of the ladies, we have a special carnation for you on your way out. And I want to give a special thanks to Mr. Jim Martin for initiating that here in the church. He reached out to us yesterday and said, hey, why don't we give flowers to all the women today? And uh, so uh, Jim will be out front. You can uh, tell him thank you. So we just wanted to bless all you ladies today with a special flower on your way out. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.